welcome to the Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lillis. Glad you're here. Glad you're listening. Glad you're all right. Happy 2023. Realize this is the first episode of the new year, or mid-February. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Beginning of the year, I had a little, I was uh, a little down and out, had a vocal problem and cold. Um, had an actually allergic reaction to something, and if knocked me out and got my voice out for a little bit and and then uh, had to get in back in shape and inspired to be back so I am glad not only to be able to talk on the microphone but also uh, excited to share conversations we are having now and uh, got to talk to my friend Neptune who is on the Hamilton tour the I believe the Angelica tour as a standby and talked about that and he's they're great we uh, we met on the film I was the acting coach on uh, the Gene Pope film, Lindsay Joy wrote Queen of Knives, and they were just fantastic to work with, and uh, and I like their vulnerability and their honesty and what they share on social media, and just about the experience of what it is to be a standby, but it also what it is to be a performer and have to give your all, and especially in that show where you, you have to do many different musical styles and be in shape, and obviously incredibly talented, but I also like when they shared about not being, you know, as good as they want to be at times. And it's a great conversation and just to what that journey is. And I also like hearing the journey of somebody who, you know, wanting to be an actor and having this great instrument of a voice and leading them into the musical theater world at the highest level. So it's a really great conversation. I'm excited to share that with you. And I'm also glad to be in the room. I was, uh, the Labyrinth Barn series is happening and I directed Dipti Brahmankar's play Love Lake and I directed Jake Brash's spin going out to Kentucky to see Dipti's play at there and I'm and Jake's play in South Carolina in a couple of months and it was just it was great to work with everybody and be in the room and create and you know I feel like not to take any of that for granted the thing I, I you know I talk about community and it was great to see everybody at these readings in the reading series and I think that's the best part of it but also the joy of everybody who brought the work together and I think that was my takeaway right now is how much I'm loving to be in the room and I'm looking forward to more of that and I say this every week let me know what you're doing because look forward to being there you know Scott Illingworth who was the last episode did this great piece of uh, the recordings of interviews he talked about it in the pod but I got to see the workshop of the Ukrainian project where I think it was six young people teenagers who were interviewed and using their exact words, actors portraying that. And it was it was beautiful, but the whole piece artistically was at a high level, and it was great to see that, and I hope that it continues to have a life. Uh, I'm sure that it will. It's very important and well done artistically. But it was great, and it was great that he mentioned it, and, you know, I got to go see it and saw many plays last week. I was saying I saw like eight plays in seven days, and uh, I enjoy it. So let us know what you're working on and what you're in the room creating and what you're excited about, and look happy to let people know about it, and also come and support, because that is key at this time. But most excited to share a conversation with my friend Neptune, and with that, play ball. cover a few people. I'm not a swing. I have swung in my past, but right now I'm currently a standby. Um, And a swing and a standby are different. They do similar jobs, but they're different. They are responsible for different um, coverages. So uh, in the case of a swing, they are responsible for um, learning either the male or female ensembles, sometimes both. Um, And honestly, a swing can be put on for any person in the building at any moment. 
that's kind of the contract that they sign. Um, a swing can also be an understudy as they can be if they have the chops to understudy one of the leads or a feature role. If they can sing well or act or funny or something like that. They can, you know, they'll have to like get the approval from the producers or what have you, but usually swings can also be understudies. A standby is not responsible for covering any of the ensemble. They're only responsible for principal lead roles. And uh, it's my second time being a standby. And I'm grateful because it, I kind of wanted that for this show. Actually, I, that's not true. I did not want to be a standby. I had been auditioning for Hamilton before it was even Hamilton. Um, when it was out, when it was downtown at the public, that uh, was like 2012 or 2014 or something like that, it must've been 2014. Um, and I remember getting an initial audition. I was doing a little show um, in Arkansas that they were trying to get to Broadway that never ended up going, but who knows. Um, but I, I flew to New York to audition for this new show. And I was already obsessed with Lynn because I, was obsessed with In the Heights. It's my, yeah. wasn't my, at that time, it was my favorite thing. Um, and so I was like, anything he's doing, I want to be attached to. And so I told my agent that, and they knew, and they saw this thing come down. I was like, well, I got to do it. And at this time, it was really rudimentary. It was like, you know, they just wanted to see if you could do whatever. Um, but ever since then, I was like, I want to just be on stage doing one role. Ideally, like originating a part, like creating something from the ground up. But many, 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 many years and many, 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 many auditions. <laughs> um, yeah. And a whole pandemic, um, even in the pandemic, I auditioned for it twice inside of like less than a few weeks. Um, it just was never a timed out adventure where it was my turn. And I was pretty adamant about wanting to do just one thing in the thing uh, it's very overwhelming particularly after the pandemic and me and my personal life right now uh it's just a lot it's a big ask and i'm not sure that i i'm not not sure i don't have it anymore to juggle so many different perspectives and, and i'll harmony. ask about that now because it's like yeah i was you know i i follow on instagram of when you're going on and what you're sure. doing and it just seems like each part had, requires its own, and this is my outside perception. I'm not a not a musical performer, but each one seems to require its own style. Yes, and, and it's like it's got to be challenging to stay in shape for different roles, and you know, to have, to have no warning, really. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, you know, for me, I've made it very clear. It's like you guys got to give me a heads up as much as you can because. Like in the case of, I just posted about, and I'm, I'm using this opportunity with Hamilton to be as transparent about the process as possible because I think people think that they call us the superheroes and they don't have any inkling as to what it takes to actually like bring a role to fruition within 30 minutes of finding out you're gonna do it. And, and even as a, a dancer, you know, you can, people think that, oh, well, you're in the choir, I didn't even notice. And a lot of people don't, if you're, if you have like plain eyes, they don't even, they can't tell the difference. And that's the goal, right? To be as seamless of a on person on stage as possible. But when you're, you're, when you're an actor, you know, and I'm not saying dancers aren't actors or not performers, but the skill set, skill set and requirement are the same, but different. Um, so dancers have to fit in. They have to like get their features. They have to make sure to hit the numbers and steps at the right spaces at the right time, all that. 
I do as well, but there's a lot, a little bit more flexibility and nuance in crafting of character. Like how the guy, his name is David, and David Park, he is, he plays our Lafayette Jefferson. And he took it over from a guy actually who wanted to be a standby, who's now a standby with me. Um, and each one of those people, the three of us, play that part totally different. How could we not? Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's not the Phantom. It's 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 Thomas Jefferson Lafayette, Marquis de Lafayette. So every bit of of personal social experience and you know how we think of these people and interpret them is totally different. And that's kind of the wonderful thing about Hamilton is that it embraces that, but it is still a show and it is still a big, big production. And so when you find, when the onstage company who does it every night finds these little discoveries and then kind of sets it for themselves and then moves forward and then discovers something else and moves forward, it makes the task of going in to fill in every two months in a role without really having rehearsal for it um, a little challenging because they're going to do something that they do every night that's not set, but they have set it for themselves. And you jump in thinking you're going to do a show that you learned three, you know, three, four, five months ago with another different company that's slightly different. And you try to jump in and do it with them. You're like, this is incorrect. And you have rapid fire words coming out of your mouth. You're jumping, you have to move sets. You gotta, you know what I mean? You're doing choreography, you're doing an accent, you're doing all these things, you're in costumes under lights and thousands of people are staring at you. And it can be a little debilitating if something, you know, goes off or just throws you a little bit. Um, right, and you want it to be spontaneous and you want it to be coming off the moment. And feel real and, fre and present and fresh and I know I will always bring that simply because I am electric when I go on because I'm literally I can't not be I'm thinking so hard you know and like in that thinking there may be pockets of like oh this is fun and the second I start thinking oh this is fun I've missed something and then I'm off I'm off the track and it's and it it happens like in a man a nanosecond um but let's see I've been with Hamilton for two years and I didn't originally want to stand by but the pandemic happened and, you know, we could have all stayed on unemployment until the wheels fell off, but that wasn't, it was a lovely experience to have, especially as a, as a, a working actor doing six shows a week for the past while. You're stopping. What are you stopping and entering into the unknown? Yeah. And, and what is, what are you going to, are you going to, where are you going to come? Are you going to go to New York? Where are you going to go? <laughs> Do you know what's funny? I think that um, New York has had my heart for so long, you know? Um, I'll just be as transparent as possible. I, right towards the height of the pandemic, uh, my ex and I moved to Hawaii and we, we escaped New York. We stayed through as much as we could. It was beautiful. That was like, honestly, the best part of New York for me was getting an opportunity to really be in it. So many people, it had emptied out in its totality and it was quiet. I mean, with the exceptions of like the sirens going off and, you know, the right. fear. But after the initial like hullabaloo and we were just kind of in the pandemic, I was, my ex and I stayed in New York and we were, you know, taking our daily walks. And then we, that might, that turned into bike riding and that turned into like migrating and just kind of really getting out into the city and seeing it and like being a part of it. And even though a lot was shuttered and it was, bittersweet it was just nice to like really 
have access to the city. Like we could just walk anywhere, walk up to anything, anything that would normally be hoarded or like lines around the corner, you know what I mean? Or just so many tourists and people. It was like, it felt like just our little playground and it was amazing. But we moved to Hawaii just because we couldn't justify paying rent, not working, not seeing anything coming down. There was no plan, right. like open-ended waiting. And Hawaii sounded really nice where she was from. Um, and so we moved there and, and then I got some really kind of really sad news and that brought me back to the States or the mainland, I should say, and um, ended up marrying my stepmother and uh, the relationship kind of dissolved thereafter. Um, and so that was kind of the place that I found myself in the pandemic, like preparing to bury a parent and losing a lover of a partner of four years and myself totally alone, you know, no industry, nothing. I just kind of felt myself totally alone for the first time. And um, yeah, I didn't want to, I want to uh, say that was the hardest part, I think, right? Mm -hmm. it's the I mean, uh, I'm sorry about the loss of life and relationship, but also the loss of community of, everything of the industry of what do we do how we do it right, and, right. And, and for me i feel like even doing it when we had a little zoom opportunity for doing things is not the same not. As the i uh i was very fortunate because i had I had managed to do i had stand, stood by for the first time off broadway for a little show called merrily we roll along by steven sondheim and it changed my life. I met um, one of the coolest, most awesome people, I would say, in the industry. Everybody knows him, musical theater. He's literally comes from like Broadway royalty. His godfather is Stephen Sondheim was, may he rest. And um, yeah, I auditioned for him after I had, <laughs> I left a Broadway show because I was very much in this place where I was like, it's not cutting it for me. Doing eight shows a week, not really seeing any room for upward mobility, not really kind of getting roles to like do, not apply my degree. I'm just kind of singing and dancing and, you know, working consistently, but that's not my goal. My goal is to like do the work. Um, and my agent couldn't understand it. People couldn't understand why I would leave a Broadway show that was so successful. And I was like, I have goals, I have other things. And I, again, did not know what I was gonna do, but I ended up leaving and then getting this audition, like almost, three weeks later for Merrily We Roll Along and I met Alex Gimignani. His dad is Paul Gimignani, who is orchestrator and like Steve's long-term, yeah, exactly. Like King of Broadway. Um, and Alex and I just basically hit it off in the room. He, I like literally, it was the first time I, I got to audition to play um, Charlie Kringis. I got to audition to play Frank uh, Franklin Shepard. I got to audition to play, oh, what's his name? Their, their boss, uh, yada, yada, yada. I'm, I'm forgetting his name. But anyway, I had to do an audition for all three of those parts. And I love Sondheim. That's like my bread and butter. Like I'm so jealous of all these people who are getting to do Sweeney Todd. And I know it's Lack and Alex Lackamore and, and this, you know, a lot of the Hamilton team, but I'm so happy for all of my people doing it. But I'm like, oh, Sweeney Todd is like my dream role. Like I cannot wait to play that part one day. Um, nice. Howsomever, uh, 
meeting Alex kind of changed my life because during the pandemic, he did this thing where he got to uh, call on people and uh, basically do concerts over Zoom for very wealthy benefactors. But they were very private. But I got to work with Sony. I worked with everybody. All of my heroes were doing this thing. Like the director of the Merrily um, Broadway for Mount did. Like every single person, Tonys, Grammys, Oscars, like that, that, you know, that infamous scene where Meryl and Audra and. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I didn't get to do that one, but everyone thereafter, I was in. I was just like stunned. And like I got to work with Steve again. And you know what I mean? Like it was just kind of just crazy. But anyway, it kind of. Meeting him for that, standing by for that, really kind of was the first inkling that I was like, I took a risk, I left something that was secure and it paid off in a really positive way and put me closer toward my goal that I really wanna be doing. I like the idea that you take the risk to leave things that aren't artistically satisfying. Yes, I, my mom does not. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a well, it was, that's actually what's gonna be my question is at what point because there's something about being on a Broadway show where you're like, okay, I'm on a show, but there's no upward mobility and this is what I'm doing. But being in that world gives you a little financial security yeah. to be able to say, I mean, it's still a big deal to walk away, you know, uh, but to be able to say I can, at what point, and has that always been your instinct and, and your, and your response, or is it that these opportunities doing a show of, you know, I can guess one of the three on that Robert. it could have been. <laughs> but doing a show where there's not the upward mobility, but it gives you the security, is it because the security was there that you can say, okay, now what do I want to do? I typically know what I want to do. And I typically realize, I should, let me say this. I know, to answer your question, I was conditioned like everyone else in America to get a job and keep a job. And I went to school, I did all the things, I checked all the boxes and said, I'm gonna do this thing. And then guess what? It was 2008. It was the worst time in life to, to graduate from college with a very expensive degree in a very niche market. No one was hiring. So I had this really fancy degree and there were no jobs. Broadway shows were shuttering left and right. It was the pandemic all over again before it happened. So I did audition for In the Heights and I was so thrilled, I was so green. So I get why I didn't get it. but. I told, I told, um, not Kale, um, I told Lack that. I was like, oh, you know, we met. And he's like, I remember that audition. I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's, it's part of the process. You know, I ended up taking, I, I graduated. I was very fortunate to have my equity card when I had come to New York already, you know, and that's usually half of the battle getting in the room. And I had an agent. So like I had double weight. I should have had a trajectory that would, been akin to a lot of other people in my class, but because of my race and the roles that were available to my race and tokenism was still very much prevalent at that time, I did not get the same opportunities to audition for roles or have shows to go right into out of school, like some of my other counterparts did. And I'm not less talented, I'm not less, I was not less capable, but it just was the way it happened. So I ended up doing other things that were, I wouldn't, I'm not gonna say beneath my station or ability, but could be seen that way, especially because I was already, you know, um, I had already had an equity card. I'd already done these things that- how'd, like, you get, how'd you get the equity card coming out of school? I worked with Bill Russell, um, who was nominated for a Tony for writing Sideshow. Um, 
he came to our little school um, and did a show there that he was trying to work on with us kids. And then after doing that, and Henry Krieger did the music for that, who wrote Dream Girls. And he came to our little school. We did a recording of it. It's kind of crazy. Um, and so I met Henry and Bill. I got to work with them. And then Bill kept me in mind for a project he had done called Pageant, where basically, I don't know, it's a real hilarious riot. And uh, basically it's six contestants doing, making fun of pageants. Um, it was basically RuPaul's Drag Race before Drag Race. But the gag is that none of the contestants are in drag. They're just playing ladies, but they're men yeah. doing that. And I got to be the host. His name was Frankie and it was awesome. And it was in, well, I can't remember what part of Massachusetts, but it was somewhere off outside of Boston. And it was my first principal role and I got my equity card doing it. And it was the last time I would ever have one <laughs> principal role. <laughs> um, but it was great because I got to, you know, kind of solidified that I want to do this thing. And then I felt very um, confident to come to New York with. And then I immediately took a theater for young audiences contract because I needed health insurance weeks. I didn't come from a family that could support me right away and the housing market crash, which was my dad's business. So we were, I had to work. I had to work. Very fortunate to be able to work, but the jobs that I uh, consented to taking were not as lucrative <laughs> at the time. So um, I just worked and I did that consistently. And uh, consistently meaning like doing the, is that, uh, <laughs> something theater usa am i yeah yeah theater, work. theater works that's the word i was looking for which i actually know pretty well and always liked because they were creating original shows and yeah you know mm -hmm. and a good place to start in in that uh, i'm gonna back up i'm gonna back up a little bit when because you do have this confidence in your ability and I like. <laughs> Is it warranted? I don't know. We'll see. Well, I, I think you do, and and have a confidence in it. And I also appreciate the vulnerability and the and the acknowledgement that that's not always there. And uh, I also appreciate your emails because we both, you know, you're doing great. Uh, yeah. Signature line. It's good to read that at the bottom of each one of them. I'm like, yeah. I'm just going to start our podcast by saying you're doing great. You're doing great. It's just a nice reminder. Every time I, I like get, write the email, I see that at the bottom, I'm like, yeah. And I tell myself, you know, thank you I for fail. And I forget because I hold my breath a lot. I'm always in a state of some sort of preparation um, unless I've completely taken myself away from something. So I forget to breathe. Yeah. So you're doing great. We'll exhale. And at what point, at what point, I usually ask like who helped you get to the next level? And that may have been pageant doing that, getting and the building those relationships at your college. But at what point did you know like, oh, I've I have talent and I I I can confidently pursue this. Funny you asked that. I was thinking about that. I feel like yesterday. I was like I don't know. It wasn't a dream, but it came. I was I was flying, and I was a bit delirious because I hadn't slept all night the night before, and had an early flight. And travel days are always just so full of adventure. But there's just a lot of time to be with yourself and think, you know. And um, yeah, I I I started singing very early and started performing very early. Um, I was I think I was in my first choir at eight years old, and we were performing in DC and, you know, performing for dignitaries and 
you know, local celebrities and what have you there. And we were internationally performing and touring at that time. And it was a choir. I didn't really have any solos at that time. But when I first kind of really, but I kept singing, I kept doing choirs and I, I did gospel choirs and I did, um, I moved around a lot, but I, by the time I had gotten back to Los Angeles where I was primarily raised, uh, I, I met a teacher, her name is Helen Stringos Audius, and she, I don't know, I've just always kind of felt different and never really could connect to like the general populace. And I remember getting to that school the first time and it was a math and science school, which I am not a mathematician nor a scientist, but yeah, but I am being, and that is, I fully, that's why I'm okay leaving for artistic. It's like, this is what, this is my life force. And if I let it die, I die. So I can't die. I'm not ready. So I will chase that and keep myself alive. Yeah. But this teacher had no budget, had nothing. And she ran the full department art. Like she ran the choir. She ran the dance department. She ran the acting department. And none of them were departments. She had no budget. But miraculously- And she had one person in the department. No, yeah, she ran it, her. Yeah. She had all these kids, you know, who did stuff. And like at this time, Debbie Allen was just starting her dance studios, but there was not a lot of cultivation of it yet. And a lot of those dancers went to the school. So I sang, so I was in choir, I, you know, I, I sang. And one of the first things I ever had to do for her was get up and sing in front of the class. We all did. We had to prepare a song and sing a solo in front of her. And at the end, I sang Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Because Whitney Houston was my, one of my first vocal teachers, not like literally, but like, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, and I was obsessed with her. And she, I just learned so much from listening to her songs nonstop, obsessed. And um, so I sang the song and, you know, the, the class was so supportive and sweet. And I messed up for my, how I liked it perform a few things and and of course no one noticed but I, I immediately started like dissecting what went wrong and how to fix it and my teacher Mrs. Stringos literally said that's how you sing a song ladies and gentlemen and that is what and I was so taken aback by it because she was always so her countenance was so warm and lovely but when she was serious and angry you knew and she said it in a way that was serious and angry like this child is so like I felt suddenly that she wished she could do more for me and that's when I think I started understanding and my friends were like, that was amazing. Like they just wouldn't shut up about it. I was like, okay, all right. All right. Um, but, so she, I guess, you, but she also acknowledged you and took you seriously. Yeah. And going, and she, like I said, she, Leonardo DiCaprio was her student before he left for growing pains. He was under her tutelage and that was always like a rumor. And then, you know, she essentially took me and a couple of my friends under our wing and nurtured us. And like, she put me in everything. I was only in choir at that moment. And she made me audition for the show little thing, get me comfortable talking on stage. She made me, actually, I wanted to do dance because I was, I was a really, really heavy kid, really, really heavy, but I just wanted to do it. I wanted to move and I liked girls at that moment a lot. And there was the girls that I liked were taking dance. And so I wanted to be near them and see them in their little outfits. And <laughs> I was like one of two. It's a great, three. it's a great motivator. Always is. Um, but, <laughs> Um, but I had, didn't have two left feet, but I was just really heavy and very self-conscious about my heaviness. And 
but I did it anyway. But she was, my teacher was a plus size teacher too. And she used to be a dancer. And so she seeing her move in this way kind of inspired me saying, if she can do it, I can do it. And so I loved it, you know? Um, so that's, that would be probably the moment where that class, that choir class would be the moment. And it was probably about 12 or 13. Um, great. And then and I'm jumping ahead of my question of like getting you to the next level, but college and meeting hmm. the people who are doing pageant and getting to work. Oh yeah. That's so college. I had always had my heart dead set on going to Juilliard because to me, there, if I didn't know much, like I, I, I'm only now learning that my ADHD has impacted my life in many ways. And I didn't understand like, and focus, when you think about focus, you think about like, oh, the ball, bam, bam, bam. oh, I that look at the butterfly. And it's like, no, it's, and my dad used to make fun of me for that, but I was, didn't understand why. I was like, oh, I guess I really do have focus focus issues. But if it's something I'm really passionate about, there's I, my focus yeah. is so laser focused that it, it works, that I always thought I had great focus because I was like, well, I can memorize an entire book. What are you talking about? I have great focus. But what I can't do is like, as I get older, like, doing these, the show, for instance, you know, it's like, I need preparation in order to focus. And if something, if I'm thinking and something happens, I lose, it's really, I lose focus. Um, sorry, I just now I lost my thought. I was saying meeting the people at your college to go on to then do pageant was probably the thing that got you to the next, take the next step in your career. Mm -hmm. But it's funny when you said you started with, I wanted to go to Juilliard, does that mean it was the only school of performing arts you knew of and Where'd you, where'd you go? I ended up at the Boston Conservatory, which is not a terrible thing, I don't think, but um, I had no real interest in musical theater. I liked it. I liked seeing shows. I loved musicals. I loved movie musicals. That's what I grew up on. My family and I didn't really go to see, like I grew up in Los Angeles, so we went to the movies. We yeah. didn't go to see shows. You know, I saw The Lion King um, and then in high school, I saw Thoroughly Modern Millie, which I'm now working with the stage manager who was in that show, which is hilarious. Um, <clears throat> I saw uh, in, in college, you know, I came back and I saw Wicked, but those were really the only things that I got to see. Other than that, like whenever we went to like um, assembly things or things like that, it was always international things. So I learned about lots of different types of music and lots of different types of art forms, but I didn't really see musical theater per se. So going to school for it wasn't something that I even considered. I wanted to act. I wanted to learn how to act because I knew I could sing. I had done really high quality, high caliber musicals in high school, but I just thought that was like fun. High school was like, this is great, but I know I want to act. I want to be an actor. And then I uh, auditioned for Juilliard and I was so serious about it and I was so into it. And I was, I would say I was ready. I was good. I was good to go. But then at this time, I don't know if they still do this, but they had you sing something, a little selection to see if you could, you know, keep pitch or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> just you. <make> it. <laughs> I'm going to show you. And I will never forget it. It was this crazy arena style room. And all of these professors were sitting around scattered and looking at me. And I, they just walked me through the room. Do you have something prepared? I had nothing prepared nothing i didn't know i had to prepare a song it was a callback so i didn't prepare that far i just prepared the two monologues that they had and i was like great they're gonna well i've got a callback <laughs> and i'm gonna do these monologues again so i did and then they asked me to sing the song like last minute so i sang something from a high school show which we had just done and had just played paul in kiss me kate so 
I didn't have a song prepared. So what did I did? I just did an excerpt from that. But me, I did the full number. I did choreography. I did, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know. It was like 18 year old me. Here I am in New York, like about to get into Juilliard, hopefully. And uh, why wouldn't they want to see the whole thing? Yeah, here's a full on number. What's Broadway? <laughs> I didn't know. I was so, I was just so focused on what I wanted to achieve that I didn't really think about like what I was showing. So I guess I did well because they applauded. And then I got another call back and I had, a, it was just a one-on-one -on -one week meeting and I can't remember the person's, the older gentleman's who I was sitting in his office talking to. He said, you're fabulous. You're absolutely wonderful. We, you know, if everyone agrees, we think you're great, but um, we'd also think you're better suited for a musical theater program. And I said, okay. I don't know, I, had I known now, then what I know now, I would have fought for, I would have rebuttaled, I would have said, right. oh, that's great. I don't want that. That's not where I see my path going. And I'm sure that's what he was waiting to see, but I just was not that person at that time. I was just so, yeah, sure. I trust the adults, you know better. I'll go with whatever you say. So I didn't get it. In. And I'm, I still kind of regret that moment. Um, There's also a thing in that moment where it sounds like they're not saying you don't belong here. You belong over there in this yeah. program. Like it yeah. didn't sound like it wouldn't be Juilliard. Right. You know, it would just be musical theater. Yeah. And, you know, Patti LeBone famously went to Juilliard and famously became a legend in musical theater. And I'm sure that that is something that, you know, they see as a possibility, but I, didn't. I didn't even know who she was at that moment. Um, so for me, it was, you know, kind of soul crushing. So I kind of, God, this will suck when it gets out, but I didn't really care where I went thereafter. Cause I was like, well, I'm not going to Juilliard. So if I have to go to school, fine. I think I auditioned for like two other schools, UCLA, USC, but I auditioned for their jazz program because I had a very extensive, I did the Gibson Baldwin Grammy in the schools program. And it was awesome. Cause I worked with, um, he just won Best Album of the Year last year. What's his name? He was Stephen Colbert's like John Baptiste. He was a, a buddy of mine, and we did choirs together. And um, he was in the trio, and he played for our choir. It was a local, it was like a national search. We had that. I was one of the basses for my year. It's like six six member party, and um, he was in our trio, and we just got to hang out and do jazz music because that was really my focus. Which was like, I can sing, and if I want to do that, I want to be an actor who sings, not a singing actor. That's always been my thing. And um, yeah, so I auditioned for the Boston Conservatory, I auditioned for UCLA and USC, for very different things. I auditioned for UCLA as an actor, I auditioned for USC as a jazz vocalist, and I auditioned for Boston Conservatory as whatever they would have me as. And I think I got into USC, but not, I didn't want to stay in California. That was like a big thing I didn't want to do. And they weren't offering enough scholarship, I think, and Boston Conservatory did offer a little bit, not enough, but a little bit. And I was like, whatever, I'm not staying in LA, I'm going. So I went to Boston. I I love A2. One is like, if it's not Juilliard, it's nothing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know, I know. But, it, but, but also you don't know. You don't know you're going to go to Boston Conservatory and you're going to meet people that are going to impact your life. Really? You know, and you you can't you never can predict it, and it's always like I do think there's a path taken. I also think it's interesting that you have this great voice, 
<laughs> instrument. And it's but and it's and it's interesting to be like, oh, I also want to act, I want to do plays, I want to do this, and but you keep so, working yeah. at a very high level. Sure. I know. Uh, you know, <laughs> on you know, couple couple of Broadway shows, a national tour of the most successful show of our lifetime. Yeah, yeah I know. And uh but how do you so I'm not even gonna talk about that. I'm gonna say now that you're taking a break from this show to take the next thing, do you frame to your agents, to whoever to say, like, hey, I'd like to either originate a role or do a play? They're fully or aware. a movie. They are very aware. I don't know that they believe in me. One of them does. One of them came, he was on my, I finally made my principal Broadway debut um, last year. Yes, I guess technically, yes, of course. Last year um, with Thomas Jefferson. And there's been a lot of turnover. I've been with the same agent since I graduated college. And there's been so much turnover since I did. Like the initial people who signed me are not there anymore. And the guy who's running it now was a junior agent and has since taken over the company. And it's been a long standing house in New York, huge, like they probably one of the longest, oldest rep agencies, um, with the exception of like the big, big, big ones. And I just don't know that they really kind of get the enigma and kind of the weird, I can do a lot of things, you know, and I like to do a lot of things because I see them all as creative like projects and it's not about money for me. It's, of course, I know it's a factor I need it and I want to be paid what I think I'm worth, but um at the end of the day it's really about the collaboration and the achievement of, of bringing something a character to life a story to life and something that i believe in and i don't know that they get it and because there's been so much turnover i don't i've not really had an opportunity to show them they've not seen me do a lot of things they just know based off what i've booked and if you're leaving it based off of what I booked, that's saying that casting sees me as a physical type or here's a, a, a voice type and says, you're best suited here. You're six two, you're, you look like a man, you present as a man, you have a voice that can do lots of things, you're flexible, go, let's do this thing. And so that's what I work. And they basically, they cast you repeatedly based off of what your resume says, not based right. off Right, right. No, it's, it's, right, isn't it? It's easy, it's easy for people because they also know it's success. Like, oh, if we put right. Neptune in that room, right. he's going to, book a job right and it's easier for them to do that versus vouch for me in rooms that i have not necessarily been in before or booked before so then so, we we met on the film on queen of knives which is lovely and independent film that's going to come out into the world very soon i can't wait <laughs> and uh, and but I remember us talking on the very first day and you saying that exact thing, the idea that you like doing this because you were originating the role. I, I just ask a simple thing is, how did you come to that? And a couple of questions. How did you have the time to do it? Huh. Um, and how did you get it? That's the, I'm so happy you asked that question because it, it essentially fell into my lap because I was so focused on like, I wasn't even supposed to be in New York. I wasn't even supposed to be in Broadway. I was supposed to be in LA. I was supposed to be doing, learning the roles. I essentially came on board to Hamilton as a uh, universal stand principal. 
um, for all of the companies. They wanted to teach me the show and have me be ready at their helm to go anywhere that any of the companies that needed a replacement or temporary cover or additional support at a moment's notice. And I said, yes, because I'm an idiot and a fool. And, and because I wanted to do Hamilton and I wanted to learn these roles, but if I had was in my right mind and wasn't like as trying to escape my grief and sadness and all these things, I probably would have thought about it a little more um, and said, I don't think that's a smart move because I would have given, I would have been stripping myself of an opportunity to be grounded in one place and really give attentive, attentive detail to receiving this information. It's very heavy information. Instead, I've been scattered across five different companies trying to piecemeal four different really heavy roles. And it's it's been, uh, which is why I feel a little burnt out right now. It's like, I need to go sit down and <laughs> yeah. go away. But at this moment, um, they the pandemic struck again. The, the Omicron variant took Los Angeles by storm and the, Hamilton LA, they were not selling very well. They they didn't make it known that they had reopened and so people weren't coming. And until they started saying we're closing and then we were sold out every day. I was like, it's funny how that works. That's right. Yeah, it's so always funny. a good thing. You oh, can't have it anymore. I want it. <laughs> you put money into publicity and people know that you're there. They show up. It's the darndest thing. Um, however, um, I moved home. I was leaving New York. I wasn't planning on coming back. Um, I said I would do Broadway's back, but I, my goal was to get out to LA. That's where I was headed before I booked the show. And I wanted to go see my family. I wanted to just be with myself and not be the actor or the, the person that I was before. And I felt like a great opportunity to do that. And then Hamilton said, psych, come on back. And I said, sure. And so I was in New York and then they moved me out to LA and then they closed LA and I was like, well, I could have just stayed there, but I couldn't, I couldn't um, because they asked me to come back to New York and offer additional coverage. And so I said, sure. Went back, made my Broadway principal debut. I had had a new agent join this agency and he didn't know me at all. So I invited them to come see me. because I was like, I'm gonna be on Broadway playing a principal role for the first time in my career. I would love it if some representation came to see me so you guys understand that I do things. And the one that I really wanted to come, who I've known for years and years, couldn't make it for some reason. And the new one, um, his name's David, um, could. And I was so grateful that he did because he was blown away. He didn't know what I could do. And he didn't know me from Adam. And so he came to see Hamilton, which is at, in the, at the Richard Rogers, which is already a feat. And he saw his new client playing, debuting a role, you know? And he came on a good night because I had already done it. And he came on the second night. I was like, ah, I finally feel good. So, so it was good for both of us, you know? And immediately the next day I got an appointment for your film and something else. And I got called back for both of them. No, I got a direct offer from you and I got called back for the other thing. I didn't book that one, but I booked your film. And I did this with, I, I, I went over to my friend's house the night that I had debuted it, that my agent saw it, my dad came to town and I laid down the, three, the two scenes you had given me with my friend in her home studio because I was basically staying in a hotel, I had nothing. And I was like, all right, let's just, let's just, let's just go, let's just go. We did like 20 minutes because I was like, I gotta go to sleep. I had a friend visiting me from out of town. It was just so many things. And I was like, let's just do it. Let's just fucking do it. And I could not believe it. I could not. And then, oh yeah. And then I was, I was only in town for a limited of time and they were sending me to another company. 
to join indefinitely. So I was going to fly fly out to Des Moines or some crazy place to join another company at Hamilton and be there for like two, three months. And as I'm touching down in Des Moines, I get a call from my agent. He's like, hey, do you want to be in a movie? And I was like, are you about to <laughs> It was crazy. It was just so wild. Like so many things were just like all of a sudden kind of hitting at the same time. So um, yeah, I'm really, really, really grateful for that. Did you, did you take off? days from the Hamilton or did you did we did did we get lucky and find a window in no. between you took days I, Hamilton because it has so been so successful and and hiring so many people from so many backgrounds and giving so many people a platform that otherwise like I said before would not have one so Hamilton has been giving platforms to people who never did musical theater, didn't do come from anything. And now they're suddenly in demand for all these casting houses and all these places because you're in Hamilton. Oh, I want to see what you can do. Come on in. That's not true so much for me because I'm older than a lot of that generation that was given that. So getting in Hamilton at all, because I've been auditioning for it for eight years, but finally getting the opportunity and to do it is great because it now people are like, oh, he can do Hamilton. He must be so, they must be so talented. Come on in. <laughs> I've literally been here for 15 years, guys. I promise you. Uh, all right, I'm backing you up. Because oh. when you said 2014, you went in the room approximately the first time and yeah. you knew why you didn't get it. One of my questions I like to ask is not the audition room. It can be any room. Mm -hmm. What do you think you carry in with you now that you might not have when you started? What do you think was the difference of that audition then when you're like, oh, and I know why I didn't get it? versus when you go in today mm. and you take 20 minutes and present yourself on a self-tape, uh, nail it. Uh, um, it's still a rare event though, Patrick, I'll tell you that much. Um, um, it's not like- I don't mean to make it sound like it's night and day and that you close all the time. It's just, but, there, <laughs> but there's a knowledge that you definitely knew there was a difference between what you did eight years ago than what you did today. Yeah. Uh... Okay, I was really tethered and I feel like a lot of us were before the pandemic to our structures, to believing that you had to adhere to the code of conduct and the expectations. Um, and I went to a conservatory and I was super resistant to even learning what they were trying to teach me, even vocally wise. It's like, I don't wanna, I don't need you to learn, teach me how to sing, I know how to sing. Like I will never forget, I came from vocal jazz and choral background. So straight tone, blending, all these things are really integrated in my being about music and musicality. And a lot of people who come to musical theater don't know that, that at all. They just know about being on stage and seeing a solo and belting it out and giving you voice. Everyone wants to be a soloist, but no one wants to be in the ensemble or knows how to be. So I was really resistant to that, but eventually I caught on board and learned that okay, this is just another skill set I can learn, that I can use. And so I took that and took it very seriously and learned the rules of musical theater, learned how to audition, learned how to show up and present myself as hopefully to get cast. And in the early years of my auditioning process, you know, they were still typing back then. They would look at you and be like, no, 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 no. Yes, stay in. No, 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 no. Yes, stay in. No, no, no. And if you didn't fit what they were looking for, which I really did, you were just dismissed right on the spot. And um, 
so I was cultivated, I was like cultured by that audition process. And so I would come in, you would have your rep book, you would have, you know, the song you wanted to sing, and then you have two or three backups in case they asked us to hear something else, and you would go through that. So I was always in that, you would be off book with the material that they gave you four minutes ago. You would give you, you know what I mean? I was very, very serious. I was a very serious student. I was very serious about showing my work. I don't care about proving much to anybody now. Um, I don't care who it is. And a lot of that is because I've already worked with all of my heroes. I've already kind of validated myself by being in the rooms that I sought out, you know, strive to be. So now how I go to these auditions, which I have not been into one. I've not been inside of a room since the pandemic, which is peculiar. I booked two things and I haven't been in the room. Isn't that weird? Weird. Yeah, so weird. Um, but uh, it's true. Um, and I, I learned now that I don't want to work for everybody. I don't want to work on every project. I'm very specific now about what it is that I want to work on. And I see every audition as a mutual interview. I want to know that the creative team, that whoever's doing the hiring, whatever, is just as flexible and has just as much of an ear to listen to what I have to say or my how I come to this part as much as they do have a perspective on it. But if they come in and they just want me to do something and then they say, thank you, that's all, I don't want to work for you. You're not, you're not a team player. You're not here to play with me. And I love to play. So if you don't want to play and you just want me to be a soldier in your play and follow the rules, I'm not interested. I don't care who you are. I don't care anymore. You know, it's funny when you say you haven't been in the room because of the self-tape and things like that. I think that what you just talked about is what is missing right now, actually, is in that beginning process, that early engagement of like, oh, do I? Yeah, Neptune's talented, but do, does, do you want to work with me? Do I want to work with you? You know how to work. Do you yeah. know? You know, what is your process like? It's really kind of, a, if you're dating, really. You know, you're trying to figure out, are we a good match? Because yeah. I think so many people are just casting based off of aesthetic now, based off of what looks good on camera or what looks good on stage. Are you hot? Do you fit the physical physicality? Do you sound like the part? Do you look, do you know what I mean? All these things that I think are always factors, yes, but there really is something about an energy that you need to be looking at, you know? Like, are they gonna work well together? Like, I'm so glad that when I met Renzo, she and I were like- It was great. We laughed. Yeah, if I can laugh with you in the first five minutes of knowing you. I know we're going to be great. Yeah, but if I can't, trouble. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a job. Trouble. I've done some day player work, you know, and I've walked on the sets, and it's like you can just feel the air being like, "This is a job for people." That's all they care about, and that's so disheartening to me because I never want to walk on a set. I rarely get to walk on a set, so when I do, I'm ready to like, "Come on, let's make a movie." Let's do something cool. You know, let's, this is like, you know, who cares if it's crap? Let's just well, do it. And, and did anybody, it's funny, I think you talked about Hamilton creating that space of wanting your interpretation for each person to bring their own thing. Clearly had that freedom. And yeah. where do you think that came from? At what, that that permission to put down the book and the three songs and the things and be like, okay, let's let's make art, let's play. Honestly, yeah, um, the pandemic, uh, so much happened for me. Neptune is not my the name my parents gave me. It is a name that um, came to me and I accepted. And now I wear with this badge of honor and I feel a sense of more truth in this than I ever felt in the name that I lived in for 35 years. 
before. And in that, uh, in the in in the rebirthing of myself and the, the loss of a parent and the the end of a a love that I hoped would never end. Um, I chose to survive. And in that, it meant that every day I, I, I thrive in what I'm doing. Every day I commit fully to being present in that moment. And that means especially in the thing that I, I do for a living, which is supposed to be fun. You know, even when it's dark, even when I'm doing burr and I'm like, you know, I'm, I know this is all roads are leading to me killing my best friend. I am going to have a ball doing this thing. You know, and I have to. I, I simply have to have fun. If I can't have fun, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and that, that's a huge motivator for me. I'm not saying I need to like have Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch to, to live life, but you know, I need to have fun. I need to like figure out a way to do sometimes that's just being on the couch and staring at the wall and like, you know, texting five people at once and laughing at my you know what I mean? That could be my my bit of fun for that day. That's fine. But um the liberation of my all of those expectations that were, I didn't know I was consenting to accepting um, from school, from from being presenting as a heteronormative person, even though I knew I wasn't, um, you know, everything, every every standard of expectation. I just kind of yeah, was like, I'm gonna ask about your name when you said it was given to you or it came to you. Did, did it come to you? Did somebody give it to you? Because, because along with, it does fit you so well, but there's also something about, it meeting you with all the ways you just described wanting to work to be fun and 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 a freedom it's gonna sound whatever but you know and also being introduced is like i'm neptune yeah. there's, immediately there's a permission this person has permission exactly i need to give it back to myself and while i did not choose neptune i embrace it it came to me in this in the darkest of darkest hours and i honestly i say this not flippantly but in a way that i really want people to know that there was a moment where i uh, a long duration where i didn't know if i was going to live anymore and and, and you know it was just a really really tough isolation period and I was still working on these projects where so I was saying with my friend Alex, you know, doing these things, but it was bleak. And I went to sleep one night stoned out of my mind because it was kind of the only thing that was kind of allowing me to get through the day and <clears throat> take care of my family and stepmother and, and process in some way. Um, it, I went to bed one night and I, I was really into meditation at this moment because I was praying, but it just wasn't doing the thing. I was doing yoga and all of the things, all of the distractions and physicalities and the things were not working so much and just being still, but like playing some sort of um, spiritual music or some sort of something was just like feeding into my being. And one night I played it as I fell asleep and I had the craziest, it wasn't even a dream. It was just like a presence and it was a really weird night. And then I woke up and I just felt so much calm and serenity. And I knew what I had to do. I knew what I was here to do. I knew what my calling was. I knew where I was going. Everything was so, it was like, and I <laughs> I left the place that I was and I went <clears throat> home to visit LA and it coincided with my birthday. And um, 
and I saw my family and I introduced myself. At 35 years old, I introduced myself and I said, my name is Neptune. And um, yeah, it, <laughs> and I, my pronouns, uh, and they, they evolved. Didn't change because I'm still he, but they evolved. They, they, there was more to it. And all of a sudden I made sense to myself and I made sense how I interact, in, interacted with the world. And whether I'm giving you or, or presenting as a more masculine energy or higher feminine energy or some combination of there, that's usually neither is incorrect. None of it is wrong and it all presents as true. And I'm finding that the more true that I am, the better connections that I have, the better people that I meet, which is how I got to meet, you know, like yeah. I literally went from being in the darkest of my hours to playing Thomas Jefferson and Lafayette on Broadway, booking a movie that night. And like, you know what I mean? And like touring around and doing this wonderful thing I had to strive to do for so long, but just- so yeah, I was gonna say that's funny. It's like the sense of being open to possibilities, but also fully open to sharing yourself. Right. Like, and you said, like, it's funny when you were describing more masculine energy, more feminine energy, I thought like, yeah, that's the, when somebody talks about fluid, it's, it's because it's, it's one thing, one minute, one thing, another. And if you're allowing yourself to be open, then that, then you, it's funny. It's not that I can experience it. It's that you allow yourself to share it. Yeah. And I feel like in my sharing of that truth, which is hilarious because I'm actually quite a private person. Like I, I'll talk to anybody about a lot of things, but there's some things like if I'm dating someone, you may never know. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm very private, I'm very protective of home and hearth. And so, you know, I will share, I understand what this, this life is and, you know, there's a lot of expectations. So I'm, very outward in a lot of ways, but I'm very protective about what I need for myself. Um, but in my opening up, it I find that it allows everyone else to be themselves too. You know, it allows everyone to just feel a sense of comfort and, and connection and collaboration. I'm going to ask if you have advice. Me, because since we were right in there about being a person, which is a fine amount of advice to be if anybody could just live that way. But uh, when you're thinking about, and you've said all these great things, just um even in, you know, going in and doing the work and, and collaborating in the interview and in the audition. But is there anything you would share? Do I have any advice? Oh, it's so funny because I, I feel like I'm a walking advice just from making so many mistakes and like, and people think that like, I'm giving advice based off of like what I see. Cause I'm, I'm a little um, uh, out there if you can't tell. You know, I, I'm very tied to my my ancestral history. My spiritual connections are very, they've always run deep. I have a lot of intuitive nature and a lot of weird things just happened to me over my life. <laughs> but um, so even as a young child, people, elders have gravitated to me to seek advice and give me their problems. And I offer my, even at like nine years old wisdom to them. And they would take it and apply it. And I was like, sure, as long as it works. So, but when I'm asked, blanketly bland like you know vaguely advice i'm like well about what but there's so much to you know think on and, th and see but i suppose if i'm just uh answering advice do you mean about career about how to be in this career this industry or i like to leave it open but mm -hmm. i think you've already talked a lot of other things so if you had something on career mm -hmm. or artistry i would yeah but oh, anything's good i feel like artistry 
I will say this, I'll, I'll dedicate this to those who are just graduating or just you know about to come out into the world. School is the best thing. And this is what I tell, I sometimes I've been asked to speak at NYU and give, you know, talk to students there. And I'm gonna do that again at some time in March. And I always say school is a wonderful resource. You know, if there's been too much pressure on it, I feel like in this country to essentially have it as a token of, of proof that you have money or access to something, but it doesn't actually mean that you learned anything or know anything. And nine times out of 10, that's really true. I know so many advancedly educated people who are idiots, who couldn't apply, who not just don't have basic life skills, but like don't know what they're doing in their own jobs. They don't, you know what I mean? Like you can get through school and get A's and not really understand how it applies. So what I like to tell people is like, yeah, sure, go to school, pay attention, like actually engage with it. Don't be afraid to ask an inappropriate question or ask why. That's my favorite question for every single statement. Why? It should have been my first word. My mom hates it, but why? I'd, I would ask anybody, if, if God brought me to heaven, I'd be like, why? <laughs> if the devil brought me to hell, I would be like, why? Do you know what I mean? Like it just, I just, I'm so curious by nature. And I think that's the biggest bit of advice I would say is to stay curious for curiosity's sake. Don't go at it for a point to judge. Don't look for a reason to think you're better than something. Don't look at it from a way to be fearful. Just go with all of the awareness in the world of what you know and try to find out more. Try and find a deeper meaning to what it is that we're doing for whatever sake, ask why. Great, thank you, Neptune. It was great. Love that. I love the ending advice of stay curious. Stay curious, ask why, and asking why so you can learn. Uh, you know, I always talk about that whenever I'm doing the work. I think the foundational question for me is why? Why are we creating this piece? Why this piece now? Why does that character want what they want? Why? Why? Going deeper. But it is about a curiosity of getting to the truth, and I think. Neptune's thing about curiosity at the end was great, as well as, you know, many other things. But I just also love the truth of, of them wanting to create a role and what it takes out of you to be on standby, even though you're, you know, oh, you're on Hamilton. It's the best, it's the best show of my lifetime, musical and excitement that it's captured the world, you know, and stepping away and talking about like, hey, I'm going to step away because I'm not fulfilled. And the courage to do that, and I numerous times, and I thought, uh, I just think it's fantastic because it is, it, you know, it's easier to do. I think we talked about that and touched on it when there's a little financial security and you can do it. But that is what, why we're doing it. It's, if it becomes just a job, there are other jobs that make, <laughs> I might like to make better money and maybe utilize more of yourself in different ways. And, uh, and I just, it was inspiring to talk to them. And also different perspective. And I like how free they are. I said that when we met on this film set, they were incredibly free and creative and expressive. And and I think when you meet them and their name is Neptune, that permission is granted immediately. And I love that he named himself and gave that permission to himself for all of us. And so uh, to experience fully. And so it was great. That was a great conversation. And 
Um, I didn't talk about the fact that he's also, I remember on Instagram, and I wanted to ask him about writing songs and writing and creating. And I think there's a thing when we are feeling needing to be empowered, we can write. And which is part of the reason why I do the play development workshop. And on February 20th, if anybody is wanting to write something, I think there's a slot open starting a new play development workshop. And it's really because giving a chance, whether it turns into a production or something, it's getting a chance to take your own creative control to get your voice out into the world. And I think that is important. And I was very excited because, you know, I was at the Labyrinth Barn series and, you know, four of the writers, at least four of them have participated in the play development workshop and at one point or another and, uh, or worked with the farm and, you know, just always thrilled to see that growth and maturing happening. Thank you, Neptune. Thank you for everyone for listening. And, um, yeah, I hope everybody started 2023 in an excellent way and uh, look forward to sharing more conversations with you. And with that, we're out. Thank you.